All right, you ready? I'm ready. All right. Well, welcome to the Food Professor Podcast, episode 38. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm the Food Professor, Sylvain Chalabois. And we are here live, in person, for the first time we've ever done this, live in person, actually. First time on the podcast. So great to see you. Well, we created the podcast as we were facing each other back in uh, March of 2020 at the RC Show. That's right. Actually, that's when we, that's when this project kind of basically was born, and we haven't seen each other since, so I'm really happy to see you today, uh, Michael. Well, thank you for, yeah. for spending time. It's a busy week for you. We're going to get to that. Yeah. Uh, and for the audience, of course, on YouTube, this looks a little different. i got a couple of cameras here. That's the, right. The sound may be a little different because I'm set up at, uh, at the Clio Club. Uh, in Toronto, so things are going to sound and look a little bit different. Very cozy here, right? It very is very nice. It's very yeah. nice. Um, now, all that being different, what is the same is we've got a great special guest, Joanne MacArthur. Yes. Uh, who is the president of Nourish. She's back. She's back. She's actually, as you pointed out, and I didn't realize, she's our first repeat guest. That's right. Uh, and she's back with her, her 2022 food marketing. And she's probably going to be our first trippy guest as well. Yeah, it's a good yeah. it's a good thing to make an annual uh, yeah. an annual appearance. Uh, we've also got our trying the there it is. Report yep. is just amazing. There it is. Yeah. Check absolutely. that out. It's a great report. And we'll put links in so they can go download the report. It's free. You just got to share a little bit about yourself. Um and then you get that report for free. And our trying stuff segment. Now, I was trying to be clever with our trying stuff segment. <laughs> So our trying stuff segment in this episode is Cracker Barrel signature shredded cheese. Yes. And I said, and and that and a few other things had an expiry date. So we actually filmed it already. And then I was going to go. Let's just wear what we wore when we filmed it, and we were going to kind of. But now it's very clear we filmed it on a different day. All still good. Exactly. Uh, it's a great. Segment. Or else we've been trying blue cheese today. <laughs> Unless we've been trying blue cheese. <laughs> and we had a great. We had actually had a great, uh, great coffee and great meal here. Yeah. Uh, at the club. So trying stuff is here. We got a great guest. And speaking of annual things, uh, this episode is going to be dominated a little bit by your report, Canada's yeah. food price. Report now. That's actually one of the first times you and I started talking together in Montreal, even before I had you on the Voice of Retail, even before we had a podcast together. That's right. And, yeah, I and, forgot about that. Yeah. And let's. I want to start that conversation the same way we started our conversation, which is: I know you look backwards, so to speak, and you say, "Okay, uh, how did we do predicting uh, in food inflation in 2021?" And uh, then we'll talk about the trade craft of the report because it's kind of coast to coast. It's a big long project that a lot goes into it, and then we'll talk about the results. But tell us a little bit, let's start at the beginning, so to speak, uh, what and how did you think about the accuracy or the, your forecast in this crazy time, notwithstanding everything for the 2021 report? Yeah, no, uh, accuracy is, uh, is a result. We don't, uh, of course, we look at our accuracy rate uh, quite mm. seriously. Because I mean, people, why why bother looking at the report if we're never accurate? Right. So th- the overall category, the food inflation rate that we predicted last year, uh, we were again uh, accurate. So we've been mm-hmm. accurate ten out of the last eleven years. Now so. remind me, it was it between four and six percent? I think it was even more precise. Than it that was three to five. Three to yeah, five. Three to five. And and for people who aren't necessarily familiar with forecasting, forecasting is just not an easy thing to do. I mean, you basically have to uh, look 12 months ahead and you commit with a report, a very public report. And so not everyone actually is comfortable doing that. Uh, Very rarely banks or consulting groups will actually go back in time and say, Mm. well, are we 
are we accurate or not? Yeah. Uh, so overall, we're pretty much accurate. When you look at specific food categories, things get choppy a little bit. Right, so right. our accuracy rate is probably around 60% over the years. And this year, so we were uh, accurate for a couple of categories, but we really missed on vegetables. Vegetables, oh, we were, if you remember last year, we mm. were expecting vegetables to go up by 5%. It went down this wow. year. They're cheaper. So mm. we missed out. And we were expecting uh, not a great harvest, uh, to be honest. So mm. Domestically, we were expecting a weaker dollar. It didn't happen. And so uh, so that that was a disappointment. And, and, and the other categories we missed, um, we basically underestimated uh, the inflation rate. Dairy is one of them, mm. uh, fruits, and, uh, and uh, also bakery. So when we say we estimated, these aren't exactly in any way, shape, or form kind of wild-ass guesses. This is like AI, you collaborate. Talk about the tradecraft, about how you uh, produce well, the report. So the way it works is that with four universities, each university uh, will have an opportunity to present mm. their forecasts using whatever technology they want. Some will use econometrics, some will use machine learning. Now, machine learning is starting to dominate uh, what uh, what universities are doing. That's been our method at Dow uh, since since the beginning, since the report transferred over to Dow about five years ago. And um, and machine learning, what it does, it learns. It it says in it in well, machine learning says it. It's yeah. learning with data. The more data you put into the machine, mm. the more it becomes accurate. And so the, the problem in Canada has always been the quality of the data. And you and I, we spoke about Statistics Canada's yeah. uh, accuracy. And Well, you said you didn't even use stats. You went down to the States and used statistics yeah, from for Yeah, for many years, we actually used the St. Louis Federal Reserve uh, database uh, because and we still we still have question marks related to stats can of course but that's the only thing we have and so uh, and when you when you look at percentages well you can still use stats cans because you only look at an inflation rate right, right so so that's what we did again this year uh, four well, universities so uh, Dal Dal UB, uh, UBC University of British Columbia University of Saskatchewan and University of Guelph right right, right, right so right. and of course when I was in Guelph that's when I started the yep. the, uh, the, the, the yeah. price report with uh, my good friend Francis Tapon uh-huh. who's now uh, retired uh, so we basically wrote our first report as an email really because <laughs> we didn't know it was going to take right. off and how long was that ago like that first 12 years ago Wow. Yeah, 12 years ago, and and it just took off. And, and, and you had, what is it, 100 million impressions from the last report? Like, it's a media so feeding the, frenzy. Yeah, so last year was our record. Yeah. The media reach for the marketing reach for the report last year was 693 million. Come on, 693 million media impressions. Yeah, according to our Meltwater report, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And so uh, so our report is out this, this year. Uh, it's out today. It's out today. Yeah. And uh, so we're very proud of our report. Uh, I have a very solid team. And uh, and I'm going to, this year, I want the team to really play a larger role with media. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to see me a whole lot this year mm-hmm. uh, in front of a camera. I want others. Hard to believe. I'll see that. I, I, I'll see that when I believe Well, I mean, it. seriously, I've done over 1,100 interviews this year. 1,100 interviews? Yes. So And most of it is, was about inflation. So frankly... 
it's time. I've, I've said it's hard my, to say something new about it after. That's exactly, yeah. and I think on my team, on my team, we have some great, uh, great people, yeah. and they have a great story to tell. And right. uh, so I'm happy that uh, that they'll be able to tell that story over the next uh, 24, 48 hours, because so it's, it's it's it is intense. Typically, yeah. we get. About 100 to 100, 120 to 150 media requests wow. within 48 hours. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. All right, well, let's talk about the 2020, 2022 report. What, what are, what's the forecast? What are the key? Yeah, so our forecast. Call the ball. Yes. Call the chicken, I guess you could say, or whatever. You know. Yeah, so, uh, so it, again, consistent with what we've seen in the past years, uh, we are expecting a, a, a higher inflation rate, 5 to 7%. Mm-hmm. So a family of four. Uh, family four should expect to pay nine hundred and sixty-six dollars more. Nine hundred and sixty-six dollars. Yeah, that's that would be the highest. But how does that compare to twenty twenty-one? So twenty twenty-one was what we were expecting was six hundred seventy-five dollars. Okay. And we missed that mark by twenty-five dollars okay. approximately. So. And we so they were paying about six hundred dollars more in twenty twenty-one than twenty twenty, but in twenty twenty-two you expect them to pay more. Nine hundred and sixty-six, like, yeah. And so we we break it down uh, in the last couple of pages of the report. Mm. Let's say you you live on your own or you live with one child sure. or a couple with no child, you can actually reconstruct right. your food budget. We actually added uh, expecting and nursing moms wow. as well. It's a great feature. It's like a buffet to choose from. Because yeah. I you know I love I always like that about the report because it allows you to say, well, that's not my situation. I don't have a family of four. What does it mean to me? Where you can kind of go down and, and choose, well, we're two plus one. And Yeah, I mean, ideally, what would be, what would, what would be nice is to actually uh, provide a very granular mm. scenario, like including a vegan. How much does it cost to right. feed yourself if you're a vegan? Mm. If you're a non-gluten person, if, uh, I mean, there's... Lots of diets out there, sure, right? Sure. And so every year we get requests from people, which yeah. is great. And mm. uh, so every year we adapt when we make changes, but as we adapt, it's more work. Yeah, yeah. The report gets longer and longer. Yeah, exactly. And um, so what are the key observations? So if I'm, is there any commodity that's going, uh, we've talked about dairy a lot on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, I just saw the Quebec dairy uh, group also talked about a, a 4 to 6% increase, which yeah. I guess will wash out. I don't understand the difference between provincial and federal. One well, at the federal level, at the federal level, the CDC le- and the federal level, right? Yeah, and that's a recommendation. So provincial boards will implement the oh, recommendation. Okay. Okay. So each province will actually adjust. Right. And in Quebec, there is a push for higher prices. So I uh, mean, pressure on food processors is going to be immense in 2022. So we are expecting. You're right. Dairy is the big category this year, 68 percent. So the dairy sector, the dairy section of the grocery mm. store, we are expecting higher prices. The other one is food service restaurants, mm. and you know this. Uh, yeah. We've talked about it. There's there's going to be some catch up. Uh, labor. We talked about it with Corey a few weeks ago. I mean, we, we're going to see higher menu prices. Uh, mm. I know that the sector doesn't want to talk about the Great Reset, uh, but I think it's happening. Well, I tell you, one of my one of my upcoming questions. I, I called it the Ontario government smackdown. <laughs> I don't know if you saw on BNN, but yeah. the, the Ontario Minister of Labor was reacting to some, I don't know what it was about Tim Hortons, but it was chitting and chatting about we can't find anybody. <laughs> oh, my God. He came on television and said, we'll just pay them more. And, and I was thinking back exactly to, it was such an unusual thing to do. But, yeah, I know. Um, uh, I was thinking back to our interview with Corey, who was saying, listen, the system's broken. Like, you can't 
possibly run a restaurant. And kudos to the Ontario government. They actually re- eliminated that that, uh, that that food service category. Food service category yeah. where you made $13 an hour if you were a server below the minimum wage. So kudos to People the... People who earn tips. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, that, anyway. I think it's the first province to do that. You know, it's 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 so. And I think it may set a precedent for other yeah. other provinces. Uh, absolutely, I think that, it, and it's a conservative government in Ontario. It, it really, mm. I think, it attracted a lot of attention outside the province. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a conservative government. They also passed the same week the right to disconnect law. So it's they're an in, <laughs> they're an interesting group of cats, right? Because you know you typically wouldn't have a conservative government come on and criticize an employer. Yeah. The way, as I said, they kind of smacked them down a little bit. Anyway, but at the same time, fifteen dollars an hour in, in Ontario is is a muted point. Yeah, I think because a lot of I know a lot of owners, uh, restaurant operators, they they've, they've been paying their staff more than fifty dollars an hour for for a long time. Yeah, if you're still paying fifteen, and I'd imagine it's pretty hard to attract uh, already. Already, yeah. Now, now but it's a, but it's a, an interesting signal. But you're right, yeah. actually, the no tip. The getting rid of the the tip category yeah. with the minimum wage was really interesting. We we got a little bit off topic. I just want to get back for a, a minute or two back to the report. So, as a family, we can expect to pay more a little bit more for dairy. Yeah. Um, any other things that we think so you're going to see more expensive at the grocery year? store? Dairy's number one. Yeah. Uh, bakery and vegetables are number two. What's driving uh, bakeries at flour and and. Ingredients uh, okay. and uh, you may recall Western Bakeries was sold, oh, yeah. so mm-hmm. more consolidation. With consolidation comes yeah. higher prices. Yeah, yeah. Sold so, to a Canadian and, and yeah, they sold a, a second piece of their business. It was last week a, too, a right? very good company, yeah. uh, and that company has been around for a while. Uh, is a good vendor of Loblaws, mm. and so they kind of kept it in the family. But again, less competition. It's a bakery that bought an ethnic bakery. Yeah which bought uh, Weston. So to me, uh, at a very high level, it is consolidation. Mm. There's one less player. But I, if, if there is one company I wanted, uh, I wanted uh, to buy Weston, it would be FB, FB Brands. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a well, good may, company. Very family-oriented. You know what? Maybe we should get them on the podcast and talk about their ambitions for the, uh, for the category uh, at some point. Right? That's a great idea. Okay, so you're going to pay more for those commodities. Anything you're going to pay... A bit less for next year? Is there anything going the other direction? Like you said in 2021, fruits and vegetables went down from where you thought. Well, I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of reporters are calling us about meat. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's it's not often that you see two years in a row of very higher mm-hmm. high prices at the meat counter. So this year, 2021 was a huge year for meat. Mm-hmm. We don't expect the same thing. We are expected, uh, we're expecting a very calm year mm-hmm. in 2022 at the meat counter. In 2014, the same thing happened. Mm-hmm. 2014 was a stupid year with meat products, and 2015 was very calm. And they calm. Yeah. Is there any, uh, we've had a couple of great plant-based uh, Zogolos, for example. Yeah. Is there any dent that the plant-based... Is it a niche, or is it now actually kind of starting to cannibalize, so to speak, some of the meat? No, uh, there, there's there's still growth in that category, but what I'm concerned about is that uh, Beyond Meat's current downfall yeah. uh, is is making a lot of noise, mm. and people may think, oh my goodness, plant-based was just a fad. Right. I don't think it is. I actually think that uh, plant-based... Uh, 
the the category itself is only going to grow more mm. in years to come. Do you see it putting pressure on red meat or chicken or the trifecta to keep the prices down because they've now got competition outside of oh yeah the category. prices are dropping in plant based uh, the, the, the 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 difference between mm. animal proteins and plant based is, is shrinking it was not always and the point right i mean i remember on an episode we were talking about impossible or one of the vendors and they were priced all over the map but it was really expensive right yeah. like it was it was even a, with dairy alternatives yeah. i mean some some uh, like oat milk for example it's getting really affordable we mm. just bought uh, uh, eggnog, mm. plant-based eggnog with oat milk. Plant-based I, eggnog. Yes, plant-based eggnog, and uh, I like my eggnog over the holidays. Yes, I and like I tasted eggnog. it. It's actually not bad. It's not. It doesn't taste the same as the eggnog, but it's actually not bad at all. Interesting. Yeah, I was very very impressed. So there's lots going on there, but mm. I do think that with uh, vegetable proteins, I don't like the plant-based term because plant-based. Uh, signifies that beef is not plant-based, but it's, it kind of is. Yeah. If you go out west, and I'm actually going to be in Banff in a couple mm. of days, mm-hmm. you can't say the word plant-based because people will say, well, beef is plant-based. <laughs> well, They're not wrong. I mean, they're, they're not, not wrong. wrong, absolutely. And so, that's so, why is, I, so is salmon, apparently, from what we've been hearing. <laughs> by the way, not to, you know... <laughs> So you got you got uh, you got vegetable proteins and animal proteins. Yeah. That's kind of how I, I, I see the Better two dimensions. Yeah. And by the way, I actually did a taste test. Hmm. We talked about sustainable blue salmon last week, so I went on a tour and mm-hmm. uh, grabbed oh, right. some sustainable right. salmon and bought some regular salmon, brought them home, cooked mm-hmm. it for my family, and we did a taste test. Hmm. And the results were pretty compelling. Yeah. yeah. Before we leave the food price report where can people get it is it we'll put a link to it on the site yeah absolutely so uh, all the participating universities will have uh, the food price report on their website you can actually find uh, a copy of the report on our own website and pass uh, reports as well right on the Agri-Food Analytics Lab's uh, website. In fact, it's actually on the main page of Dalhousie University as well. Let's move on now to our interview with Joanne, and let's have a listen to what she has to say. Joanne, welcome to the Food Professor Podcast. How are you doing this morning? Great. My pleasure to be back. Well, and I should say welcome back to the podcast. That's right. And Sylvan and I are here live in person actually looking at each other. Yeah. Um, which is which is kind of fun. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. And this is your second time on the podcast. And, and uh, we're really thankful you could make time for us. I'm sure it's a busy week with the new reports. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. All right. Well, listen, for, the, for anyone who hasn't perhaps um, didn't listen to the first one or might not, not uh, know of you, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit, a bit about your organization, your company and what you do. Okay. Uh, So I'm president and co-founder of Nourish. Um, I've got sort of a traditional, I'd say, CPG background. Started my career at Procter & Gamble, Unilever, did a little time uh, in retail at Cadillac Fairview, and ended my my career client side as a divisional president of Molson Coors. And, And I was on the management, the North American management team. And Nourish, I like to say we know a lot about a little. We are a specialist food and beverage advertising marketing agency, and we know how to do one thing really well, and that's help our clients sell more food 
period. First of all, congratulations on your report, Joanne. It's always a great read, a fascinating read. Why do you do these reports? Because as you know, Joanne, I author reports all the time and they're a lot of work. And, uh, <laughs> but there's are. always a purpose. So what, yeah. what is the purpose you know, we, Well, the purpose, I, you know, is partly sharing our knowledge and helping the industry, including our clients, um, but not necessarily just our clients, future-proof their businesses. Uh, and with our trend report, we're not trying to make value statements because we we're in that privileged position of having clients across the whole food ecosystem. So we work with commodity groups, manufacturers, associations, food service, retailers. And because we work across the whole food ecosystem, we can see change happening and we're able to connect dots that others maybe aren't able to do. Because your report is very comprehensive. You cover a lot of stuff. Uh, what I really like is that you don't necessarily look at retail. You go back in the supply chain. You look at other things happening there. And mm-hmm. you go beyond food as well because you this year you talk about pets. And uh, it's a fascinating read. It's great. Congratulations. I wanted to, to uh, talk about the tradecraft of the report itself. I'm always interested in, in uh, pro- a little bit of the process behind how you come to decide what are the most important trends to talk about there's some some that are probably kind of table stakes so to speak table get it you see what i did there <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah yeah and then others that are differentiators and, and i'm sure the list is longer than makes it into the report so how do you come up with what the trends are and then how do you distill it all down into what ultimately becomes the the food trend report great question so we've got um, some proprietary research we do we have a number of databases we talk to uh, uh, and listen to a number of thought leaders in the space and so throughout the year we're kind of tracking things but then we get together uh, for a pretty I'd say a bloody couple of weeks (laughs) where we kind of mash it out and you're right that you know we have a much longer list and not everything makes the cut. Uh, so, you know, this year we had um, uh, 10 trends and one bonus pet trend. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, it's just uh, because we're specialists, I think it's just kind of grows and builds over the year. And then it's the, those final two weeks where you're pulling it together. Um, we broadened it a little bit this year. Um, there's more of a global flavor, I think, than in past that's right. years, just because right. with COVID, things have become borderless. Business has become borderless. You know, we've got more clients um, from other countries than we have in the past as a result, I think, of, of uh, working digitally. So, uh, so we didn't just keep it to Canada this year. Yeah, because you do talk a lot, a lot about the farmer or farming, which is really, and you look at uh, that, hire, you look at hiring practices uh, uh, at Farmgate and across the supply chain, which is also very interesting and frankly unexpected. Because I'm very familiar with the flavor of this report over the years, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you can feel that you really went beyond your, I'd say, comfort zone at Nourish, I guess. You're, you, you've you broadened your scope. Of, uh, yes and no. We work with a number of commodity groups, uh, so we do work with farmer groups. But I think, you know, what we've tried to do working with uh, our partner agencies, try to bridge that gap between consumers and farmers um, because, you know, both sides, we, we need to build that bridge. And so they, some of those trends attempt to do that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, another general comment, I was interviewing someone yesterday for my um, Orsa Retail podcast, and they talked about COVID less about creating trends and more of an accelerant of existing trends. 
where do you where do you land on that spot? Is are there things in net new like you start talking about, for example, you spend a lot of time on climate change, which is as you described, big inflection point. Did you see the COVID era as you reflected upon it as an accelerant, or are there net new things that that you've discovered because of what we went through, and and I guess continue to go through? Uh, I would say it's a combination. Um, mm. Accelerant, absolutely. Like I think it catapulted us, uh, depending on the trend, five to ten years into the future. Uh, mm-hmm. So the future right came came a lot faster than people were expecting. Um, but uh, I also think that one thing that came out of COVID was the fact that as a as a world we came together uh, to face one enemy and defeat it. I think we are going to refocus that on climate change. So I think that is something that has come out of COVID. So talk about your perspective around climate change, because it really is, is a wrap or a frame around the entire report. And then we'll get into, you know, the highlights and, and what, do, what are the trends uh, beyond that. But you do start with this idea of an inflection point. So take us through that for a little bit. Yeah, um, I wrote quite a long preface, I guess, to the trend report, which is new. We haven't done that in past mm-hmm. past mm-hmm. years. And we put this to bed before um, the BC floods happened um, and uh, before uh, COP26 happened. Um, but, you know, you, you had the head of the UN saying that climate change is a code red for humanity. We saw what happened with droughts and floods even before BC, um, fires. And, you know, no one could say that the health of our our health and the planet's health aren't linked anymore. And eating food's not just about human survival, it's becoming about the planet's survival as well. Um, So again, you know, we're not trying to make value statements with the report, but, you know, we do believe that we are at an inflection point and people are going to Mm. refocus, um, especially younger generations, on climate change. Of all the experts I know, uh, you're probably one of the best when it comes to understanding generations, as as you just mentioned. Uh, your first uh, trend, you talk about boomers and seniors, and you make it explicit that they're they're coming back. Um, I just want to hear your thoughts about you know where do do boomers and seniors fit? Well, you know, I think the problem is they haven't in the past. Like (laughs) most of the wealth in society is with this group. And yet, um, you know, I would I would put good money on uh, most of your listeners when they do market research. uh, They don't talk to people over the age of 65. That's they just, yeah. you know, how traditional market research is, is done. Uh, so we know that that group is really under-targeted. And coming out of COVID, we really think there's going to be a, a focus on this group because they're a massive marketing opportunity. Um, and they also are looking for more functional foods to support healthy aging. Uh, we quote some research in there that talks about how this generation, more than any previous generation, wants to age at home. They don't want to go to um, a retirement home or a a long-term care home. Uh, And they've got the money to support that mission. So we think there's there's absolutely a place for um, products that support that mission. What about consumer trust, which is the second uh, trend that you've uh, outlined? Uh, How are you reading the consumer trust, I guess, landscape right now in the food industry? Are we doing better? Are we doing worse? Because it seems to be a very important issue for you. 
I think, yeah, I think it's an important issue with consumers. You know, they're saying, you know, matter to me rather than market to me. And, you know, when I talk to um, producer commodity groups, I talk about pulling back that curtain that they have put up between themselves and the end consumer. And it's been, you know, for, for a lot of reasons, but I think with COVID, uh, all of a sudden you saw, you know, pictures of farms, discussions about migrant labor, um, you know, food system became something consumers started Googling. Uh, so they want to, to look in. And so it's how far back can uh, the producers pull that curtain. And, you know, especially in Canada, where so much of our media it comes from south of the border, um, you know, consumers have this vision of, of farming that's either idyllic or it's corporate um, factory farm. And the truth is somewhere in between. And I think that um, farmers need to get more comfortable with inviting the consumer in in some way. And Consumers are willing to accept that nobody has the answer yet, but if you say, okay, this is the journey, we, we want to get to this point, uh, whether it's regenerative agriculture or, you know, more humane farming practice or better treatment of migrant workers, you know, say this is where we want to get to and it's okay you're not there yet, just tell consumers the steps you're going to take and take them on that journey. You know, this episode uh, today for Sylvan and I, we're talking a lot about the food price report, which is out for 2022, which talks about uh, food inflation. How do you think that impacts your your trends in general? Is it is it kind of an overarching theme behind them or do these navigate in and between the overall cost? My, of- my first thought is the save and splurge yeah, uh, yeah. trend that she mentions in her report. Mm. Yeah. What do yeah. you think, Joy? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of people talk about, you know, that it's a supply chain issue, um, inflation, and I don't agree. There is some of that, which will get resolved over the next year, probably. But I do think longer term, and I'd be interested in, you know, I'll be listening to hear what you have to say about this, Sylvan. But I do think that with climate change and also generations aging out, you know, there's going to be higher cost of labor. We're going to see more feast and famine. And uh, climate change is going to cost you make everything's going to cost more and so that's why yeah we had that splurge and save trend um, and we called it sort of the high low if you if you look at what happened in fashion 10 years ago Mm. There was this high-low, which continues today. So I'll go and grab a T-shirt from The Gap, for instance, and pair that with a designer blazer. Uh, So it's right. So in different categories, you economize and other categories, you, uh, you spend more. And we're starting to see the same thing with consumers. So they may go and get a cheaper cut of something, but finish it off with a really high end, um, you know, olive oil or balsamic vinegar or something like that. And we're, you know, and they'll also do that with private label products as well. Um, So some categories are going to be more comfortable saving money uh, with private label and then splurging in in other areas. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about uh, pet ownership. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it caught my attention, and frankly, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, they're, they're all, we, we have in this country way more pet owners 
And when you own a bet, you become a different consumer. Well, I, it's, it's funny. The, the thing that I think has got caught people most by surprise out of this trend report that I hear back about is the stat um, that there are now more pets than kids in Canada. <laughs> um, right? Which is, which is, right. think about that as an opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's been this whole humanization trend towards pet, right? What's good for me is good for Fido, right? So if I'm concerned about um, ancient grains or gluten-free, you know, I, I put that same um, dietary restrictions often on my pets. Um, mm. But we are also seeing, you know, we know that in past um, recessions and inflationary time, pets always been the category that's done the best. People don't cut back mm. there. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a big opportunity, not just for grocers, but also um, manufacturers. And we talk, you know, we cite the um, Ben and Jerry's um, ice cream. Um, they did, they have one in the U.S. for pets as well. Yeah, and the interesting thing is they shelve it right beside um, mm. the human. Uh, so, you know, when you're treating yourself, you're also treating your dog. And if you look at the um, some of the big mm. CPG companies, they also have pet food divisions. So, we're, mm. you know, I think we're going to see more of a, a blurring line there. Mm -hmm. Well, our, our Trying Stuff segment on this episode is Cracker Barrel signature shredded cheese that's right my dog loves it <laughs> my, I, I, we were making pizza and there's a smoky one that that uh not telling tales out of school you got to watch it but we loved it as well yes but we we gave a few you know to our doggo who just loves lactalis cheese and loved it last couple of qu questions anything surprise you uh, in your work and in the report? Yeah, I guess when we looked at the rise in consumer searches, discussions, and products around the whole um, gut health and uh, the microbiome, uh, just how that has really vaulted ahead, and that is coupled with um, science uh, and more research reports, medical reports mm. on the importance of the microbiome and gut health. Um, and that has just accelerated over the past couple of years. So uh, that one, I think, is coming on yeah. fast. Pretty, It was pretty esoteric stuff, yeah. but now it's, it's kind of mainstream. Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, I mean, I guess... Over, over, overall, your report is uh, is quite comprehensive. What, what do you expect uh, to, to be the one trend that will dominate most in twenty twenty two? You think? Oh boy, that's a that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> pick pick like, one of your children. Yeah, I was going to say it's like asking which one is your favorite kid. <laughs> or pet, yeah, it's, it's going exactly. to be trading off uh, how to deal with inflation in food in a way that, mm. that most mm -hmm. people have, consumers frankly, have never seen. Um, yeah. And that's also related to uh, climate change and planet health and, uh, and the rise of that in, in, in focus. I think those two are going to go hand in hand. All right. Well, listen, uh, it's a great report. Tell us where folks can go learn more and, and get their hands on uh, 2022 trend report as we've, we've got our hands on it right here. Yeah. Uh, well, it's free to download. You just go to our website, which is nourish.marketing, no.ca, no.com at the end, just nourish.marketing. And it's uh -huh. also, we've also got a couple of the past year's trend reports up there, mm -hmm. which are also worth um, downloading because trends continue to develop mm -hmm. and grow over time. And also, you can check our, our track record. But, Joanne, you're always right. Ah. 
I feel and like you wait I long like, enough, anybody's always right. right. Exactly. Question. Listen, Joanne, thanks so much for joining us on the Food Professor podcast. As always, we look forward to uh, to reading more about the report, and uh, best of luck, continued success, and, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, My pleasure. Looking forward, to, looking forward to talk to you again next year. <laughs> so do I. You know, it's great to have Joanne back on oh, yeah. the on the show. Let's also now get to our Trying Stuff episode. All right, welcome back to our new segment. Not so new anymore. Uh, we've done a bunch of these episodes. Such a pile yeah. of fun. Uh, trying Stuff. So in today's episode, we've got, I'd call this a heritage brand, right? Like not a new brand, Absolutely. but even, I was in 1954, I think I was looking up Cracker Barrel. Do you remember yeah. that name? So we've got Cracker Barrel, new product. Signature cheeses, two Cracker Barrel signature cheeses. We've got extra old and Mazza. Mazza, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. And then we've got uh, smoked age and medium uh, that's cheeses. The other one. So, that's right, yeah. So thanks to our friends at uh, Lactalis, Mark Taylor and his great team, Rupa as well, pulled this together for us. We've been waiting for that one for a while. In fact, uh, we got our products a while back, and my kids ate yeah. the, ate it all, so I had to buy some more. <laughs> okay, so, so now it's a direct sales generation tactic from exactly. Uh, from make 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 products so good we don't get a chance to review them. All right, well, listen, there's a bunch of things going on with this. There's a bunch of tr- interesting trade stuff, uh, but let's try some product first. Let's try some yes. product first, and then we'll talk about you know how Cracker Barrel came to be part of. Lactalis, that's fairly recent, and, and yeah. a bit of heritage in the dairy space. And you can immediately tell which one smoked. You know what's interesting? About, I, I've, I've cooked with this. I'm going to show you what I just cooked with it. There's shredded cheese, probably a pretty profitable product. But then that's the blend idea. As I say, it's expertly blended cheese. And that's what I've found. Like With cheese, not- we often go for a flavor, but mixing things up, I thought was really interesting. You know, mm-hmm. uh, with with this particular brand right there, it's actually not bad at all. You, yeah. you like it? Yeah, I mean the sm- the smoky flavor just pops for me. I yeah. think it's a very sophisticated flavor. And again, I'll do a shameless plug. I made a smoky bespoke mac and cheese with it oh, for my barbecue show. You're killing me. <laughs> it was fantastic. It, it turned out fantastic because uh, usually I put three different types of cheeses. It turned out the measurements three hundred grams was perfect. But it added that because I cook it on the smoker. It added that extra. <laughs> you know, smoky goodness to it. So that's the yeah. smoked one. Now the other one, extra old and mozzarella. And again, it's not like I couldn't grab a block of cheese or two and, you know, shred them myself. But yeah, to me, it seems like the blending, uh, it's living up to its name, the expert blending. Very good. Now let me show you what I made. I made, let's see if I can I haven't these. seen it. I haven't seen it yet. So this is the first time. I haven't time. seen it yet. So I'm yeah. going to move my microphone. So I made I, these. Just came off my Yoder smoker. Oh my god! Pizza, pizza, pizza! Woohoo! I can smell it. I can smell <laughs> it from here. Both pizzas have the same cheese. Okay. Uh, so I cooked. I cooked something else. As I said, I cooked my mac and cheese with the smoky. What, what have you got? Quesadillas. Oh, yeah. delicious! I Which know. one did you use? Actually, uh, this one is mozza. The other, the other one is the mixed. Try so I'm it right trying now. the uh, the extra old yep. mozza. Mm. Oh, really good, really good. Yeah, I'm going to try the smoky oh, right now. Oh, good, right? Oh, this one wins. This one wins for sure. It, it's it's not in your face smoky. It's just very subtle, very yep. gentle. You know, it makes it reminds you that it's something different, and it works around your mouth, which is really awesome. 
Let's let's talk about the trade craft here for for the folks listening. Since our podcast just isn't about food, but it's about the trade heritage brand. It, if you go to the Cracker Barrel site, I was kind of checking it out. They've got pictures of the old style logo. I yeah. grew up watching Bugs Bunny shows sponsored by Kraft Cracker Barrel, and this was a a, a, a brand under the Kraft portfolio. That's right. And um, Kraft joined with Heinz, and then with these Brazilian guys. I think is it the same guys that own. Um, Tim Hortons, Capital. The same? yeah, 3G Capital uh, with Warren Buffett, same uh, people behind uh, uh, Restaurant Brands International, which owns Popeyes, Burger King, Tim Hortons, and now Firehouse Sub. I just, I in just US. had the visual yeah. Firehouse yeah. Sub, which was a, their latest acquisition, literally a couple of weeks ago. Yep. So I guess somewhere in the portfolio management, someone found and said, "Well, you know, maybe this doesn't fit the way it used to." So in I think it was the fall of last year, Lactalis, our friends at Lactalis, Mark Taylor in Canada, big global yep. company, bought uh, a kind of a suite of brands. I think some stayed with Kraft. I think they still own Kraft Dinner and Kraft Slices, uh, but overcame Cracker Barrel. And really, immediately, it feels like they're, you're, they're already having the impact with this. They're cheese, man. They're dairy. They know what they're doing, right? It turned yep. into a profit. So. What do you what did you think of what did you think of the change in the merger and lactalis and all that stuff getting bigger? Did it make well, sense to you? Well, with dairy with dairy products, as you know, there's lots going on right now uh, with yogurt, cheese, and uh, and I think mm-hmm. uh, when I, if you want to look at lactalis specifically, they they really have an aggressive strategy. I, I think they want to own the category pretty much in Canada, and I think I think that Mark and his team is on a really strong path to dominate uh, that that section of the grocery store over the next few years. Uh, I, the management is is superb. I think it's all about capacity and and they yep. know it and that's why they're acquiring and acquiring and I'm not I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we were more from lactalis in in, uh, in months to come. The challenge or the opportunity for companies like lactalis, you know, if they continue to buy up or create new brands from around the world, move those brands around the globe, is to square the circle, basically. Let's let's yep. not have a homogenized, there's a little bit of a milk joke there, a homogenized, <laughs> a homogenized brand strategy where the product all tastes the same, but the logos are different. They really need, you know, that, that really intense dedication to if we have a brand, it has distinct flavors, distinct brand positioning and the product yeah. needs to be distinct or else you know at all i think that's where i think they were the, that's where these big multinationals kind of fall apart is they're like oh that's a good cheese let's put four different brands on it and call it something different and you know we'll channel manage it i think i think that's that's a big key right exactly i mean there's been there's been some uh, some decent innovation in, in the dairy sector in canada over over the last several years but we only innovate for ourselves but lactalis mm. i mean when you when you look at we talked about the product but we didn't talk about the packaging i mean mm. this is really i think a good way to sell a product it's pre uh it's pre-prepared in a nice yeah. in a nice bag as well you don't resealable waste as much. yeah which resealable. i love I- that that's that's kind of what you have to do in order to get uh, get your products moving right now and and yeah. and and they're very easy to find in a grocery store too it's it's everywhere easy to find practical uh, priced yeah. accordingly uh i think i mean cheese is 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 relatively expensive in canada but i mean those products aren't necessarily that expensive well it's ev- you know it's a, you you raise an interesting point it's everywhere when i go to my local grocer you know, there's a wall of shredded cheeses, right? That's right. House brand cheeses, you know, you know, 
lots of competitors. So I think, you know, I'm sure the, the, the brand manager who provided this to us, uh, who reached out to me, I'm sure his days are busy, right? Just because you make a great shredded cheese doesn't mean you get, you got to stand out in some way. Like it's a very competitive category within each, as many within each category are. Cause I see lots of private label cheese. I see lots of brand. It's a shredded cheese. Why would I pick your shredded cheese? Right. So I think they've done a great exactly. job. Right? Yeah. It's different. Great job. You, you can't find something similar on the market right now. And that's no. how you're going to get some success in dairy. That was our trying stuff. Thanks to our folks at uh, the friends at Lactalis Cracker Barrel and Cheese World. And a reminder to everyone, uh, this product is just supplied to us uh, with no obligation and just, you know, try it. That's uh, the way we roll. All right. Let's talk turkey. Uh, let's talk turkey. You know, uh, as you know, I'm a big fan of turkey. Uh, yes. So what are your thoughts on, uh, are there going to be enough turkeys for Christmas? Are you going to have an episode for turkey in December? I, that's right. Uh, do you think there'll be enough turkeys? Do you think the How price big of was your turkey for that show? Uh, I'm just curious. 12 kilos. That's a big bird. It was a big bird. So those birds are going to be rare for Christmas. Oh, is that the thing? Oh, yeah. yeah. So big birds are going to be rare. Uh, and so Is that a market thing or is that a... It's a, it's a market adjustment thing. So uh, as you know, Turkey is supply managed. Sure. And so their, their job, the industry's job is to predict demand. So I think overwhelmingly most provinces were expecting smaller gatherings once again this year. And with smaller gatherings, you don't need a 12 right. kilo bird. Smaller birds are, are, are in fashion. Yeah. I've actually encouraged people to buy two smaller birds. Huh. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah. If that's possible. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, we are expecting, uh, we are expecting some, some inventory issues out west because of what happened in BC. What we were just talking about. But yeah. overall, we don't that expect that. What was really interesting mm. yesterday that CTV, the same network, mm. actually had two reporters looking at Turkey, the Turkey situation. Both ended up with different conclusions. <laughs> One was saying, yeah. we should be fine. There should be some challenges, but we should be fine. The other was saying, we're going to run short. The real answer is, there are, are going to be some challenges, but there should be a, enough turkey for everyone. Every year in mm. Canada, we sell over 2.1 million turkeys for Christmas. Wow. That's 40% of the business. That's more. Th- is that more than Thanksgiving? Is like this the time? So it is. Because in is, America, it would be the opposite. Yeah, would so it's, it's about 40% for Christmas and 25% for th- Thanksgiving in mm. Canada. Because mm. Thanksgiving in Canada is, I think, more pluralistic. I think the people... Oh, it's less of a big deal. Yeah, right? exactly. it's, not the, it's not the deal it is in the state. Yeah, so, uh, so but, but Christmas is a big deal. 2.1 turkey. So the industry is really lining itself up to sell mm. that amount of turkey. But, uh, but access is going to be a challenge depending on where you go and what kind of turkey you want. Well, all right. Well, listen, great episode. Uh, very fun to be here with you in yes, person. Uh, it's wonderful, actually, to be in the here flesh. Uh, in person. Thanks to uh, our fo- friends at the Clio for hosting us. Absolutely. And, uh, we'll uh, give them a bit of a shout out. And and if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll, again, you'll see something different. If you're listening to us, check out our YouTube channel. There's bonus content. So if you like this episode, uh, be sure and tune in uh, each and every second week. Now, we're going to be doing a bit of a hiatus over Christmas. Our next episode will be our last episode. We're going to take a break, and we'll get back on it uh, right into January. Uh, So look forward to that. We'll take a bit of a break. uh, And then be sure and subscribe on your favorite podcast channel. I'm Michael LeBlanc, the host and producer of the Voice of Retail podcast and the all-new YouTube Last Request Barbecue Show. So check that out. And and I'm the Proof Professor, Sylvain Chalabois. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you again next week. Take care.